Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. In this episode, I will be discussing the top five reasons your express entry application can get bounced. Yes, indeed, it is true. Immigration has found many ways to reject these dear express entry applications. And in this episode, I'm going to look forward to sharing with you my top five reasons why I see them getting bounced. Now, since January the 1st, Express entry has pretty much been the only game um, in town when it comes to applying for permanent residence for skilled workers in Canada, except for the provincial nominee programs, but we're going to leave those aside. So we've gone from a system of complete certainty with the old programs to tremendous uncertainty with express entry. Prior to January the 1st of 2015, Um, you could apply directly to the various economic permanent resident class categories, whether it was the Federal Skilled Trade Program, the Federal Skilled Worker Program, or the Canada Experience Class, which was a favorite of many. Now, after January the 1st, anyone seeking to transition from a work permit to permanent residence um, through the economic classes or seeking to immigrate as a skilled worker to Canada As of January the 1st, they must now go through this lovely express entry regime. Unless, of course, as I indicated before, they are able to qualify under one of the provincial nominee programs. However, as we know, many of those provinces have suspended their programs until early next year, such as Alberta and BC. And largely they're suspended um, because their 5,500 allocation quotas have already been met for 2015. And in the case of Alberta, a large portion of that quota has probably already been established for 2016. So express entry is what we have to deal with. So let's figure out what we need to do to make sure that you don't get caught unaware um, by committing some very simple mistakes that can ultimately result in your express entry application being bounced. Now, obviously, there is a ton riding on these applications when people are submitting them. And if you're a temporary foreign worker in Canada with a work permit uh, that is about ready to reach the four-year cap and you're running out of time, you don't have the luxury of sitting and languishing in the express entry pool or even worse, getting drawn and granted an ITA, an invitation to apply for permanent residence, only to find your application bounced by Citizenship and Immigration Canada because of some technical oversight. And believe me, it is happening all the time. Um, We're seeing it across the country for such innocuous reasons, really seemingly inconsequential things. But unfortunately, uh, that's, you know, what we are going to be dealing with today in this podcast is some of the top five ones that I see so that you you can make sure that you avoid them. Now, largely these applications getting bounced by by Citizenship and Immigration Canada is as a result of a shift that has occurred within the department itself and how they're processing applications. 
If there are any errors or deficiencies within the application and it's not perfect, they'll simply return it. Now, we've commonly started referring to this as a one-touch policy, or in other words, they do not want to get an application that is not complete and then have to sit on it and waste time by sending you a deficiency letter telling you what you've missed. And in prior podcast, I talked a little bit about how some third-party representatives really um, are not adding a whole lot of value to the clients that they're servicing. And we're relying on, on CIC to basically point out what they'd missed, and then they would just go back to you as the individual and say, hey, we also need to upload this document that we forgot to include previously. You know, no harm done. But now the world has completely changed, and if you miss something, it's highly likely that your application is going to get bounced. They've got quotas to meet every year, uh, and in the case of Express Entry, they have to process these applications within sixty within six months, and that's a pretty fast standard to get through this. And so they don't want to have anything slowing them up in this process. And it's also important to realize that there are only so many officers to go around. I'm sure those of you who are currently in Canada have noticed how temporary resident applications inside Canada and spousal sponsorships, the processing times have skyrocketed. I think I was looking today and it was almost over 120 days to process a work permit extension for the same employer. Well, the reason for this is that many of the officers are being reassigned to express entry so that the government can, can, uh, can continue to meet their service level agreements or standards that they've posted uh, for getting these express entry applications completed in six months. And so that's kind of a general rule, but that's why things are slowing down in the other areas and there's only so many officers to go around. So the situation that we're dealing with is, uh, is that you have to get your application right. You simply cannot afford to make little innocent errors or, or mistakes or omissions on your application. Otherwise, you're going to get it bounced. It's going to get kicked back. And like I said, with those of you who may be capping out, who are running out of time, who are counting on this to go through, the last thing you can have is, is a little innocent mistake that's going to trip up all of your plans for obtaining permanent residence in Canada and ultimately having to go home. So it's one thing if you get your application rejected because you didn't meet the requirements of ex- the express entry program, or in other words, to be screened out by the, the, the come to Canada wizard that CIC has when they're trying to determine whether or not you may even qualify for express entry. It's one thing to have that uh, arise, and I've had many people send me questions indicating that despite um, their best efforts, they can't seem to, to find themselves eligible for the program. When they do the, the calculations manually, it shows that they qualify and then, you know, there's some problems within how they're doing it that or how they're entering the information that results in them being found ineligible for express entry. So we deal with that on a one-to-one basis within our firm and, and people that are struggling with that. But ultimately, it's an entirely other thing to have been granted your ITA and have submitted your permanent resident application through one of the permanent resident categories only to have it rejected, you know, months down the road when it's nearing completion because of something that you just didn't anticipate, you know, or something that you had omitted innocently. So when submitting your profile to the express entry pool, there are lots of checks and balances within the system to allow you to know that you've got it right. Um, 
but you know if your um, if your English isn't sufficient, um, you don't even get through the door. Or if you don't have at least one year of skilled work experience, you're screened out at the beginning. But uh, and even you can go and use the Citizenship and Immigration Canada CRS uh, calculator, that little CRS tool that you can punch in your information, and it'll tell you. Um, uh, you know, what your potential rank is and how many points you can expect. And, and I'll make sure that, that I put a link on this, um, link to this within my show notes. So once you're in the pool, um, you, you're also going to be notified of the actual CRS score that you get when you're sitting in that pool. So you can take that and then you can compare it to the, the rounds of invitations and determine exactly where you sit. So there's a lot of relative predictability within... The, the actual entry into the express entry pool. Now, at least in terms of gauging whether or not you think you might qualify, recently, just you know, just a few days ago, on September the 18th, um, the CRS point threshold dropped to 450, which is our lowest total yet. And I know there's lots of people that don't anticipate it dropping below 400, and, and uh, there's lots of uncertainty with individuals who do not have a labor market impact assessment supporting their applications. But I'm still optimistic. And in meetings that we had with the government um, this past year, while I was serving previously on the Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Executive Committee, they told us that the sweet spot was between you know 350 and 450 points. That's what they anticipated. And understand, part of the reason that they're not um, drawing, you know, more than about 1,500 people per invitation um, is is largely because they're clearing out all of the backlogs of the previous permanent resident applications. So keep that in mind and don't lose hope if you're sitting around, you know, the, between 400 to, to 425, wondering if it's ever going to get down there. Don't lose hope because I think come next year as those those queues are being a process through those backlogs, I should say, that they'll they'll then start to lower the points enough where you can qualify. So don't lose faith, don't lose hope yet. Um, despite you know how frustrating everyone is and, and that frustration that's being expressed all throughout the internet with people who are kind of languishing right now in limbo within the pool. So I wanna I want you to think about something for a minute. So can you imagine what it would be like if you had 450 CRS points, okay? So you're just just receiving this email um, where you've been granted an invitation to apply, in this case, under the Federal Skilled Worker Program. So you've been waiting, let's say hypothetically, since January of this year to be drawn. And I can tell you, if that happened to me, I would have been personally overjoyed so we'll assume that you're like me and you would have been super, super excited about receiving this invitation to apply. It's your ticket to permanent residence and all you have to do is make sure that you've got things uh, you know, completed properly, submitted within that two-month period and then you're good to go. So now, let's imagine you faithfully submitted your permanent resident documentation and uploaded all of the information necessary to ensure that that lovely portal accepted your application, and away it went. So you received your confirmation, the date it was filed, and now the waiting game. Okay, let's fast forward five months now. You get home after a long day's work to find you have a new email from CIC. Now you're super stoked here because you see that it has 
a, the letter E right at the beginning of the file number, which tells you that, that this is significant. This relates to your express entry application. So you quickly log into the computer, open your MyCIC account, and what you find absolutely devastates you. After waiting in limbo for almost eight months, CIC has refused your application. And why did they refuse it? Well, let me give you three that I've heard lately. Of course, now it would never have happened within our office. Uh, and I say that tongue in cheek uh, with a little bit of sarcasm. But one reason why it happened, because you forgot to include a copy of your degree when you uploaded your educational credential assessment. Or maybe even you forgot to include a birth certificate for one of your dependent children. Or even worse, you accidentally uploaded a copy of your child's passport data page in the very spot reserved for birth certificates, which I can tell you personally is super easy to do, given the fact that you can't even look at the document once you've uploaded it. Once it's in there, you can't even open it up. Now, explain to me, and maybe this is a question hypothetically put out to Citizenship and Immigration Canada, why in the world would you design a system that does not allow people to double-check the document that they've uploaded uh, to make sure that it's the correct one? Well, let's face it, that's what happened. So now you realize, and once again, this is our hypothetical example, that you're going to have to go back into the pool and hope again that the draw total drops down to at least 450 again. Well, this is what I'm seeing happening all the time. And, you know, I would, I would never lie and say that our firm was never guilty of, of, of any of those oversights. Now, they're not all. I can't take credit for all of those mistakes. But everybody is seeing this. And when we're seeing it happen, you know, the individuals are facing these same issues regardless of, of where they're submitting the applications, the, the level, the, you know, the, the, the level of sophistication of the, of the people that are submitting it. These are innocent mistakes, but they are significant because unlike the past where a little oversight might have caused maybe a one or two month delay because CIC would need to send you that deficiency letter first, which would take about three weeks to get to you. And then you'd upload, you know, then you would provide them via, via courier um, and you'd make sure that you tracked it, the documents that they requested, and then the application would continue forward. Usually that'd take about two months or so. It would delay the processing of your application. That was it. There was just a small little blip in the processing time. But as you can see from the, you know, the examples that I presented above, anyone, anyone who does this now can most assuredly expect to see their express entry application returned. Okay, I think I've belabored that point long enough. Um, this podcast is designed to give you my top five reasons that I've seen applications getting refused over roughly the past seven months. It's my hope, and I sincerely hope this, that by sharing these simple little tips with you, you'll be able to ensure that you don't make the same stupid mistakes that that we've made within our office and that other people have made all across the country with such drastic consequences. So before we start with my list, I want to qualify a few things here. 
the tips that I'm giving you and these this top five list relates to the permanent resident process. So there's a number of ways that you can find that you're ineligible for express entry, at least when you're trying to complete that little wizard that the... Uh, the Come to Canada wizard that the government has at their, uh, on the Express Entry website, which I'll provide links to these, all of these um, resources that Citizenship and Immigration Canada gives people to uh, submit their Express Entry application. So I'll provide those links to those in my show notes. Um, but there, you know, there are um, likely a number of different reasons why people can't qualify for Express Entry to start with. And that's, that's fine. However, I'm not going to be discussing that first stage. My focus is on the catastrophic effects that occur when there are problems after you've actually uploaded your documents and submitted your permanent resident application. So that's where I'm going to be focusing my attention. So let's go ahead and jump right into my top five reasons uh, permanent resident applications are being refused under the express entry system. I do want to point out that these are not in any specific order. So I'm just randomly picking the five that I feel are, are some of the most common ones that I hear. And I'm sure if you, you go on some of the immigration forums, uh, you know, that Canada Visa has on their website that uh, David Cohen has, what a wonderful resource for all of you. I, I was skimming through that the other day just to see what some of the pain points were for people as they were going through the express entry system. And and I can tell you that um, there's a lot of really awesome people on there that are sharing information. It's just marvelous how, uh, how people are able to um, share their collective experience and really, more often than not, get it right. Now, often, you know, you know there's, the reality is sometimes people post things on there and they respond and the information isn't entirely accurate. And sometimes it's just wrong. But there's a, a lot of really good people on there that are giving good advice to people. And so, uh, you know, so I'll give... Uh, a shout out, I guess, to um, to to David Cohen and his law firm for creating that, and the good people who are just you know just so um, so keen on serving other people and helping them and, and being collegial. So um, yeah, so good on you all for for doing that. Um, so here's my top five. Number one, your reference letters are deficient, and I start with that one because that was one of my last blogs that I just put on my website that covered off the, um, uh, the, the most important essential components that are required, absolutely mandatory for reference letters to be accepted by CIC. So I'm not going to go through the process of, uh, of re, um, you know, restating all of those minimum requirements. But if you can go to my website, uh, canadianimmigrationpodcast.com, and uh, the blog post that I posted last Friday, September the 18th, you can go through there and see um, in very clear, simple terms, exactly what you need to include within your reference letters to get them accepted. If you omit, omit any of these areas, there is a significant likelihood that your reference letter is not going to be accepted. And obviously, what comes with that is the skilled work experience that you're counting on to qualify for permanent residence in Canada. Um, I will point out, though, that some of the areas that are uh, most commonly omitted include the detailed list of duties and the number of hours worked per week. So those two things are rarely included in a traditional reference letter. So you're going to have to make darn sure that the companies that you're relying upon are providing letters that are comprehensive and include everything that I've listed there within uh, my previous blog. Um, 
you know, if there's one person out there who has been given a second chance by CIC on these reference letters or really any of the other four items I'm going to be discussing, please tell me. I would love to hear that CIC has showed mercy to someone. But at this stage, I'll tell you, it has been pretty harsh. And uh, this one-touch policy has, has really driven um, the, the, the culture within CIC and how they process these applications. So, you know, in, in fairness to CIC, their position is, look, these things are processed so fast that, um, you know, this isn't a situation where your application is taking three years to process like it used to. So because they're so quick and because the draws happen so frequently, it's not a big deal. If you don't get it right, then just jump back into the pool and away you go. But as I've indicated previously, it's not always that simple. And for to have people languish forever waiting to be uh, to be drawn and then see their application refused for a very mere technicality, you know, it just, ugh, to me, it just, it, it isn't fair, is it? It's just not fair. Okay. Number one, re- uh, reference letters that are deficient. Number two, police clearance uh, police clearances are missing. Now, usually people are not going to forget to get a clearance from a country where they have lived in for greater than six months after turning the age of 18. So most people are going to get that. But what they don't realize is that some countries may require not only a federal clearance, but a state clearance as well. And the only way you're going to know is by going to the CIC website and reading very carefully exactly what they say you need to provide. So I'll provide a link to the how to get a police certificate webpage uh, if you need to get police clearances, which everyone does who's entering into this program. Um, But the reality is, one thing I do want to point out is that uh, countries, you know, such as Australia, for instance, and I say this because we within our firm got tripped up with this. And we had an application that was bounced because we didn't include this. But in Australia, for example, if you read the fine print and read it very carefully, and trust me, they have changed this. It wasn't so visible <laughs> when we got ours bounced. But it seems like once things happen like this, and then lawyers like myself immediately complain to case management branch in Ottawa and file a, a complaint to you know, to the immigration representative's email and, and to the, and upload another complaint to the case-specific inquiry site and we're inundating them with complaints about how harsh they are, then they do what they can to try and make it more readily apparent what you need to do so it's not buried in the very last sentences of, of the instructions. But anyways, I kind of digress there. But in Australia, you need to include a national police certificate Um, And it says within the instructions, standard disclosure, name check only. And that's issued by the Australian Federal Police. Well, that's fine. But it says here that you also need to include a traffic history for residents of Queensland only. So you need to make sure that if you are resident in Queensland, or if you're an immigration representative listening to this podcast, if your client is resident in Queensland, then you need to get that separate traffic history report or your permanent resident application will be bounced. But not only residents of Queensland are treated special, residents of Victoria as well. And residents of Victoria need to have a full license history search. So attention to detail is critical. And we've never had to do this before. 
So I've never had those, those, this issue come up in the past, but it did with uh, resounding harshness and our application was bounced. Fortunately for us, we were able to quickly resubmit the profile and another draw happened within days. So we were back into, uh, back into the queue, refiling our permanent resident application. But oh my goodness, it was, it was just the most unsettling, just just utterly frustrating, exasperating experience for, for me to see that this small little oversight uh, could have cost our clients a significant amount of, of not, not only, you know, frustration and disappointment, disappointment, but, but literally have caused them their opportunity, you know, to lose the opportunity that they would have had to remain in Canada as permanent residents. That's the consequence. So, Obviously, if you fail to include these extra state clearances, guess what happens? Well, of course, your application is refused, and I'm living proof of that. But I can tell you, when you make these mistakes, you never forget again. All right. Number one, your reference letters are deficient. Number two, your police clearance is missing, one of the components. Number three your educational degree was not uploaded when you included your educational credential assessment, whether you got that from Wes or or whoever it was, you forgot to include your educational degree, a copy of it. You know, this happens more than you think. And like I said, when you're uploading these documents, you actually have to bundle them together. And when, when you upload those educational credential assessments and your educational degree, um, it's easy to forget the, the, the copy of the degree. So now one would assume that it's not a big deal because after all, uh, the ECA assessment, it can only be accomplished if you've provided the actual degree. So it has to exist. Otherwise, you'd never have that ECA report. And there's no way, you know, that, um, you know, to get uh, that, that ECA um, uh you know, like I said, ready without actually um, being able to have provided that degree. So, so you're left in this situation where a simple oversight, which is just ridiculous, can also result in your application being bounced. So I don't need to belabor that one anymore. I think you're seeing the pattern here. Small little slight oversight results in huge consequences that I don't believe are commensurate with the level of, of mistake. But it is the life that we have to live as we're working within this industry. And as you as individuals are trying to find, file your own application, you must be so careful. Okay, number four, your language test results have expired. Now you'd think with, uh, with, with language test results remaining valid for two years, this wouldn't be a problem, right? However, if you take, for example, that hypothetical person that we we used before as a previous example who submitted their application in January of this year, well, if if you have submitted your your application and you're in the pool and maybe the points don't drop down to 450, maybe they stay at 456 or, or whatever it might be, and you're unable to qualify, well, you're sitting in that pool for months and months, and months. And I don't know about you, but the last thing I'm going to be paying attention to is when my language, uh, you know, that language test is going to expire. 
So it can sneak up on you, especially if then at the late stages you you receive your ITA and you're super stoked and you're happy and you're just excited to, to have the opportunity to apply. You don't even think about that language test. You upload it and, and before you know it, you see that lovely email in your inbox indicating to you that you're back at square one, that your application has been refused because your language test result by the time it was submitted had either expired or it was in the process of expiring before the assessment took place, the completeness check assessment. So, you know, when we when you go through that process and you think about it, um, something so small and so insignificant, once again, can can just cost everything for you. So, be vigilant. You cannot lose track of the expiry dates on the documents that you're submitting. Okay, let's recap one more time to make sure that we've got everyone on track here. Reference letters are deficient, number one. Number two, your police clearance is missing, one of the state ones or the, or the federal one. Three, your educational degree has not been included with your ECA assessment when you upload it to the Express Entry Portal. Four, your language test results have expired. And five, you have not proven you have sufficient funds to support yourself. So your proof of funds is lacking. And obviously in that last area, you know, I see a lot of applications getting bounced at this stage because people just, they, they don't have those funds to, to support their settlement in Canada that, that they're supposed to. And unless you are currently authorized to work in Canada and have a valid job offer from an employer in Canada, or you've been invited to apply under the Canada Experience class, and, and I, when I say valid job offer, that is a, a job offer that's valid pursuant to the rules of the permanent resident programs, okay? Um, maybe I'll touch on this a little bit later in a specific blog. I won't have, I don't have a lot of time to go into details as to when you, you know, when you need to have those proof of funds and, and when you don't. Um, but you can go on the CIC website and there's some instruction there. It's a little bit confusing for sure. But if you are invited to apply under the Canada Experience class, you don't need to have it. But when it comes to the Federal Skilled Worker Program, it depends on if you have a valid job offer. So we'll leave it at that. But those, but, but those funds are super important. And CIC doesn't take too kindly to, to you getting a loan from someone or having someone dump into your bank account the $11,931 Canadian that you need as a, as a single individual applying. You know, they request from your bank uh, six months of, of previous bank statements and it has to come directly from your bank. And, uh, you know, so that's a, that's a factor you have to pay attention to. And if you don't have that, those funds your application will get bounced. Now, I find it extremely interesting that when we are talking about um, bringing all this money to Canada, uh, if you go to the CIC website, um, one of the references it has for, for proof of funds, it says, bring as much money as you can to make moving and finding a home in Canada easier. Note, however, that Canadian customs regulations require you to declare if you are bringing more than 10000 into Canada. Well, the reality is if you're coming to Canada from abroad and you're bringing those settlement funds, you're always going to have over $10,000 available to you in some form of fashion. But if some of you have drained your bank accounts from abroad and have cash and you're bringing it through, 
you better make darn sure that you tell an officer and disclose that, um, you know, because if you don't tell them, you could be fined or, well, they indicate as always with our penalty provisions uh, in the in, within uh, within Canada that you could be put in prison. That, you know, the likelihood of that happening is pretty low, but you have to disclose that cash or or those documents. You know that such as stocks, bonds, debentures, all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, you need to, you know, even, even bank drafts and traveler's checks, you need to make sure that you disclose those. So, so, um, you know, I can only imagine a circumstance where an individual is caught by customs for, for failing to disclose the money that they have before they actually get to the immigration officer who is expecting to see those settlement funds and will specifically ask you for them in order to land as, you know, as that, uh, uh, as a new permanent resident of Canada. So with all of these reasons and all of this doom and gloom and, and uh, you know, everything that we're feeling with Express Entry, and there is a lot of wonderful positive stories too. So I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want to be a, uh, a real negative, uh, you know, voice because I really like Express Entry. I think it really has a wonderful potential for people. Um, but before we, you know, before we kind of move on, to uh, to some listener questions, I do want to give you just a couple quick tips, and they kind of flow into each other, but I just want to reiterate these tips so that you can, well, they will help you to fall into the same traps that, you know, we have fallen into within our law firm, as well as other people that I've 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 seen, uh, you know, their postings online and. And just people coming to see me who are devastated because their permanent resident applications have been bounced. So here's some couple extra tips that you can think of. Now, sorry, that that I have thought of them that that should be able to help you. So the first thing is make sure that you collect all of your documentation long before you receive your invitation to apply. So sometimes we're excited and we know that we can qualify. We're eligible for express entry, so we quickly put our our our. Uh, you know, our, our profile into the pool before we even have all of our documents. And guess what happens? You get drawn the very next day. Now you're scrambling because you've got two months to submit your permanent resident application. You don't have your police clearances. You don't have your medical completed yet. You don't even have your reference letters from some of the companies that you listed um, in, in your profile uh, that are, you know, to, to back up your skilled work experience and get those essential um, CRS points. And so you're now scrambling and and you, you literally, you don't have time to do it. You know, you think trying to get a police clearance from Africa or, or you know, in some cases, booking medicals even, there's a backlog and you just can't get them. And so uh, that's a huge issue because like we talked about, the government has been showing very little mercy. If you don't have these things, and you should have had them, they simply feel that um, you know that uh, uh, they are fully within their right to refuse the application, bounce it back, and then you have to go right back into the pool. So make sure that you have all your documents ready to go at a moment's notice. Collect them before you push submit on your express entry profile. And then the second little tip I have kind of flows from the first one. And that's simply to consider declining your invitation to apply if your application isn't 100% complete when you need to file your permanent resident portion. So if you're going through the process, you've got your ITA, you've, you've started collecting your documents, and you just can't get one or two, 
before you ultimately file your permanent resident application, then maybe consider withdrawing or declining that, uh, that ITA. Now, obviously, if you have a work permit that is expiring and you're running out of time and you desperately need to have that permanent resident application filed so that you can reach that, uh, that completeness check stage to be eligible for a bridging work permit to bridge the gap for the last few months, um, then, you know, then it's, you have to take chances and you have to do what you have to do to, to just get it filed. And I've had to do that for clients who were capping out with their four-year work permits. But if you have a choice, if your work permit is valid for some time, if you rank really high on the CRS, so let's say you've got an LMIA and your work permit is valid for another year and a half, then don't chance filing a permanent resident application and including some explanation saying, well, I just didn't have time to get it. It's coming. I'll forward, I'll forward it to you when we get it, which we always used to do. Don't take a, take a chance doing that if you have the luxury. Just withdraw your invitation to apply or decline it, I should say, and uh, you'll go back into the pool. You'll get drawn in a couple weeks again, and then away you go. So from that standpoint, express entry is really, really good if you're one of those people that ranks high. So sometimes it's better off to hold off filing until you have everything. And, uh, and then in that way, you can avoid some disappointment with the permanent resident application being bounced and then having to start all over from scratch uh, at a later stage. So that is, to some extent, uh, just a few tips that you can, you can consider. And, uh, you know, just to recap, I think I've recapped these five over and over again, but at least this way it will kind of burn into your minds. But number one, we've talked about reference letters. Uh, make sure that there's nothing deficient within those and they meet the, the, the very, very uh, specific requirements of, of CIC. Um, and watch out for job duties. Do not submit a reference letter that doesn't explain your job duties and, and the hours of hours worked per week because those are ones that are commonly omitted. Uh, two, your police clearances are missing. Don't forget your state clearances. Three, your educational degree has not been included with your ECA assessment. Don't forget those degrees. Include them. Uh, your language test results have expired. Watch those. Monitor those. And if they are, you can always go back and retake the test. Even if it's midstream with your permanent resident application as after you've submitted it, um, if you see that, you know, you, you realize at the very last stage that your language test results are going to expire before you have a decision, then go ahead, go in, retake it, and then upload it through the case-specific um, um, portion of CIC website where you can upload it to that uh, case-specific website. And then finally, proof of funds. Make sure you've got them. So those are, those are the five uh, tips. And then I gave you a little bit of other strategy to, to make sure you don't file it until you've got everything to start with. So let's jump into our listener questions. And I've picked this first one for a very good reason. And that reason is that I get this question all the time. And it comes in very various forms because it's a specific question. It's not one that's general in nature. And essentially, it goes like this. And this one comes from uh, Amarjit. He says, Dear Sir, I have a three-year diploma in mechanical engineering and I have 15 years of work experience. I have IELTS scores of listening 5.5, reading 4.5, writing 5.5, speaking 5.5 for an overall 5.5. Can I qualify for express entry? 
Well, I can tell you, I would absolutely love to be able to take the time to individually assess every single person that sends me that question, but it's just not possible. And so um, usually what I do is I tell people, look, if you really want me to assess it, you're going to need to engage me formally through my law firm um, where I provide specific legal advice and we have a, a solicitor-client relationship. And in those circumstances, I can carefully analyze all of the circumstances and not just assess express entry, but all of the other aspects of, of coming to Canada to apply for permanent residence. Or if you're here, transitioning to permanent residence, because there may be other options that you haven't considered. Um, but regardless of that, I get this question a lot. And, um, and you know, uh, so I've got a couple suggestions, a couple links for people who are in this situation who really need a little bit of assistance and are not sure where to turn. Well, in the case of, of this question that was asked um, here by um, Amarjeet, the short answer for him is no. <laughs> you will not be able to qualify through express entry. And the reason being is that your language scores are too low. So you must, if, and I presume that he's outside of Canada, if you are outside of Canada, then you have to go through the Federal Skilled Worker Program of Express Entry. So that's just a requirement. And if you're going through the Federal Skilled Worker Program, the minimum language score that you must have across all of those four factors is seven. Now, if you're in Canada and you have the potential of qualifying under the Canada Experience class, well, then it's a level five. And I won't touch on the, the trade program at this stage just because it's, it's not as common as the other two. But ultimately, um, in the case of the, the assessment for, um, for Amarjeet, he won't be able to qualify right now as it stands because his English is too low. And that's a showstopper. It doesn't matter if you are a rocket scientist with 5,000 years of experience. If you don't have that minimum English, you can't get through the gate. So you're going to have to go back to the drawing board, study up, retake your IELTS so that you can increase your score. Now, with that being said, I do want to provide everyone with three important links that will help you along your way. So understand that these are links that CIC has provided to help people. And I'm sure that you know many people probably have gone through the process, I would hope, of, of going to the CIC website, researching as much as they can, um, you know, uh, and exhausting all efforts. But in case they weren't aware of these, I do want to provide three links. So the first one is just simply the, the immigration eligibility wizard, which is the very first thing that you're pushed through. You know, that's a good indicator that you are eligible to apply for express entry. The questions that are asked hit on the high points, the essential components that if you don't have them, you're not eligible. But if you do, then you'll get that little confirmation code that you can then use to start submitting your profile. So that's the first thing. Then the next thing um, that, that also comes into play, and you know whether you do this before or after you try the wizard, the wizard essentially what they're doing is they're assessing you for a number of different factors, but to a large extent for, for anyone that is living outside of Canada and doesn't have Canadian work experience, you're going to want to assess yourself against the Federal Skilled Worker Program six selection factors. And so unless you meet that initial 67-point threshold, then that's probably why you are getting, um, you're finding yourself to be ineligible when you try to submit your, your information through the immigration eligibility wizard. So keep that in mind. You must meet those 67-point threshold if you're going through the Federal Skilled Worker Program before you can even go through the door into 
um, submitting your, your profile into Express Entry. And then the third one is a great little tool that I use quite frequently. And this tool, um, and it really, I, I shouldn't say I use it quite frequently. That's probably a, not, not a fair statement. I actually go through manually whenever I'm uh, reviewing an individual's qualifications and I manually do the calculations. Not that I don't trust this lovely tool, but there's always little gaps or little nuances that, that are going to um, change how this, this computer-generated algorithm assesses your points versus how I would legally assess them based on the immigration uh, regulations and the ministerial instructions that govern express entry. So, um, so, but with that, if you want a quick and, and dirty little tool that you can use to, to get a, um, an assessment as to how many points you, you would get under the comprehensive ranking system, then I'll provide this link as well in the show notes. And uh, it just goes through and assesses how many points that you're eligible to obtain. So, uh, you know, one of the things that people can get tripped up with is if you, uh, you know, if you rely too heavily on this tool, sometimes people will look at their master's degree, for instance, that they've obtained overseas and, and, and outside of Canada, and they'll just accept it as being a master's degree for the purposes of this comprehensive ranking system. But if you haven't had an educational credential assessment, it's possible that that that, that for you know that master's uh, degree could really equate to a four-year undergrad degree or something lower, which would then give you fewer points. So I'll place a link to this in the show notes, and hopefully that will be helpful for you. Um, but like I said, you know it's not possible for me to individually assess every person for Express Entry that sends me a question, and I get a lot of them, and I feel really badly about it. Um, but these links will help you. They will point you in the right direction. And, uh, you know, and, and if you follow that, uh, you know, what, what is instructed in, um, you know, these the instructions that I give in my podcast and the free resources that are out there, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be just fine. So for the rest of you who, who, you know, who ultimately just want the peace of mind, you can always, I'd love for you to contact our law firm and, and, you know, who am I kidding? You know, this, the whole reason that I'm doing this is to bring exposure to our firm and, uh, and to obviously give back and, and to try and do something good with, you know, on a much grander scale than I can just helping one person at a, at a time. So I, I love what I'm doing. I, I really enjoy doing these podcasts and I'm, I'm just super excited about the potential and just to help people, uh, which, you know, some people might be cynical and say, yeah, whatever. The only reason you're doing this is to, is to make money or do whatever. Well, I don't know how I'm <laughs> making more money uh, at, let's see what time is it now, 1.33 a.m. Mountain Standard Time as I'm finishing this podcast and my, my lovely wife and four children are fast asleep at home after we had a little bit of a nice family night tonight on this beautiful Monday um, this Monday uh, evening, September the 22nd. Um, but I had a nice little time with them and then I knew I had to come back here and get this out for everyone. I'm trying to do it on Mondays, but sometimes I get pushed back a little bit, but that's my goal. So anyways, I've once again digressed. I'm going to pull myself back in and I'm going to go to the second listener question. And this comes from Neela. And she indicated, I'm a spouse of an international student who holds an open work permit in BC. I've gained experience to qualify through CEC. Can my employer apply for an LMIA only to support my PR application as I don't need a work permit? My spouse is still a student and we already have a valid study and work permit for another year. Um, 
I have no Canadian education. I have skilled work experience working as a seamstress, which which Neil is correct. 6342 is, is a, a skill level B. Um, and she says, I'm paid the prevailing wage, which is wonderful because that's really important. She says, I've created an express entry profile but didn't get enough points as my spouse is still working on his degree and I don't have any Canadian education as I mentioned earlier. So my hope is now to get 600 points through an LMIA. Thanks for all your help, and I will look forward to the answer in your weekly podcast. Okay, well, Neela, without any reservation, you are in great shape. So definitely, your employer is fully able to apply for an LMIA to support your express entry application. And we actually refer to those, at least, you know, commonly refer to those as a permanent LMIA. There's no $1,000 processing fee, um, which is fantastic. You're in, you're in great shape that way. You don't have to worry about uh, forking, off, forking over um, that much money to, uh, to submit an application for a work permit, an LMIA supporting a work permit that you don't even need. So you're in good shape there for sure. And if your employer is able to show that there's no other Canadian seamstresses available and, and, and qualified to take your position, then that permanent LMIA will be approved. And sometimes they even come back a little bit faster than a regular one. But they still need to go through the advertising and they still need to post for the position and submit a a fairly comprehensive application. But there's no $1,000 processing fee. And the bonus is, obviously, as you very clearly identified, if they're successful in getting this for you, you'll get an extra 600 points for your job offer. And... As we've seen from these series of, of um, draws that the government has done, 600 points will most definitely guarantee you to receive an invitation to apply. So, uh, so Neela, I wish you all the very, very, very best. Okay, last listener question number three, and this is from Labib. His message reads, I'm preparing my file for the Federal Skilled Worker Program. I have revived a job offer from a Canadian employer. My question is, and I'm assuming that Labib is outside of Canada as well. He says, one, is it mandatory to have an LMIA in order to get additional points for the job offer or not? And two, he says, can I submit, uh, and he's indicated here an expression of interest, which is a little bit... um, uh, a little bit uh, of an outdated um, um, term that was used initially when the express entry program was created. Uh, but he says, can, can I submit an expression of interest before obtaining an LMIA or during the processing of the LMIA? So let me start with the first question. Is it mandatory to have it to get the additional points for a job offer? Absolutely, 110%. You will not get that extra 600 points. You just won't get it. No matter what the job offer is, no matter what the employer promises to CIC and how wonderful you are and how you're going to change the whole, uh, you know, the whole industry and in, in, in the area in which you work, without a labor market impact assessment, you cannot get that extra 600 points. The only exception is if you've been nominated by a province who has an express entry program. So you can get it through a PNP nomination or through this LMIA. Second question for Labib. Can I submit my application before I get the LMIA? And the answer is yeah, 
Absolutely it is. As long as you can continue to, one, qualify for those 67 points uh, to meet the threshold under the Federal Skilled Worker Program, and that you also meet the, the minimum requirements for eligibility through, those, um, through the wizard that I've told you about in the link that I will provide, and there's nothing else preventing you from submitting your profile, so you're not otherwise inadmissible or anything like that, then absolutely you can submit your profile into the pool um, and uh, you'll be expected to register on the job bank uh, your profile there for that matching process, notwithstanding the fact that you've got an employer that you've already connected with. And then ultimately, if that employer is able to obtain that LMIA to support your job offer, then you can update your, your file and you are an absolutely fan fantastic position. So um, uh, so I hope those answers are useful. If you would like to, uh, to, to leave me a question that I answer on my upcoming podcasts, I'd encourage you to go to my website, um, CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com, and you can uh, go to the contact me and leave a question through there, which many people have done. Now, obviously, I can't answer every question. Also, you know, that's that's sent to me, and I feel bad about that. But I'll try to pick out the ones of the most general applicability, and uh, I'll just do the best I can to answer um, the questions that you send me. Um, I do want to notify you just about a couple other house housekeeping matters as we close off our podcast here uh, today. Um, I will be speaking at uh, a couple events here coming right away in the, the end of September here in a few days and, and into October at the Human Resource Institute of Alberta's Canadian Immigration Law event. Um, I will be speaking uh, on September the 23rd here in Lethbridge. And then later in October, the Canadian Institute's Immigration and International Workers Forum that will be held uh, on October 27th through the 28th. I will also be up there uh, offering um, a workshop on labor market impact assessments as well as uh, discussing employer compliance in one of the uh, seminars that I will be presenting at. So if you're around, you can go to the show notes and, and click on uh, the link for those respective um, seminars. And if you are able to make it, I'd love to meet you in person and, and make your acquaintance. So uh, so that's what's coming up in terms of um in terms of my speaking, uh, in-person speaking engagements. Uh, I also want to encourage you that, you know, with, without any reservation, please leave a question. And um, uh, my next podcast, what I would like, I've got about a week to my next podcast, so I am going to send out uh, a request for all of you to let me know what you most want to hear about or what you most want to learn about and I've kind of focused on express entry a little bit more over the last little while, and I think I'm really going to push forward with that. So if you have any questions or any specific topics within express entry that you'd like me to cover in my next podcast, um, I will set it up so that we do that for you. And uh, anyone that uh, has some great ideas, um, you know, in terms of topics that are just really pertinent and really uh, useful for a wide variety of people, um, I'll make sure to give you credit for that in the next podcast. So um, I also will encourage you to, to share the love, to spread this with uh, this podcast and the resources from the Canadian Immigration Podcast with everyone that you know. Um, the more people that I can get connected, the more it just feels worth it for me to do this. 
and I'm really committed. I feel it's a wonderful way that I can give back and and uh, and really um, connect with people on a much larger scale than I ever could just in my little practice here in in, in small town Lethbridge, uh, Alberta. I've got an office in Calgary, Alberta as well, but this is my home base where I raise my family and and uh, I just don't have the same exposure as some of my colleagues in some of the larger centers. So I really would love you, for you to share it. Um, share it on Facebook. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, through Twitter, and comment. Comment as much as possible. Let me know what you think. If there's something that I, you know, that I said that you, you, you don't agree with, I definitely don't consider myself to be perfect. Um, if you have suggestions, like I said, for future podcasts, any of those things, I'm really trying to build a community here. Now, one thing I do want to remind everyone is that I do have somewhat of a method to my madness here. And ultimately, what I'm going to do is create a series of do-it-yourself guides that I will um, be selling out of the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. And those do-it-yourself guides, the very first one, which I will be releasing on November the 1st of this year, will be all about express entry. And it is going to be the most comprehensive product that I can possibly ever create. It's going to contain all of the knowledge that I have, my staff, tips and strategies on how to increase your chances of, of success. There's going to be a, a, a walkthrough, a literal step-by-step um, guide. It'll be through a screencast, I think is what I'm going to do that will take you through every step of the express entry process um, step by step and so that you can actually watch as I do it personally right on my own screen here in my office. And so this tutorial is designed to allow people who maybe couldn't otherwise afford my legal fees or people who just want to do it themselves to have a resource that is going to be awesome. And I'm going to say that because I'm going to make it awesome. And in fact, it is because I'm building it right now. Um, a resource that people can use, that they can rely on, that they can trust. In a world where CIC has become so closed, you just can't go anywhere to talk to a live officer with the simple questions that you have or or with the concerns or if an application is wrongly refused, which, which is also happening a lot with Express Entry. So my goal is to create uh, do-it-yourself guides for all, uh, well, really, as many applications as people are interested in receiving them, whether it's work permits or other uh, forms of permanent residence, spousal sponsorships, those kinds of things. But my first one's going to be Express Entry. So if you are interested in receiving uh, and being able to download and purchase a copy of this do-it-yourself guide, um, please, there's a there's a spot on my website that you can sign up and get notified when it's coming. But uh, you'll start to see a lot more things here once we reach October as we start to build up to the launch of the, 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 the do-it-yourself guide. But I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. It's going to be awesome. And uh, if you have any suggestions on things you'd like to see me include even within that do-it-yourself guide, give me feedback. Let me know. All right. So I think that's pretty much covered everything that I'd like to within this podcast. Uh, I always want to keep it a little bit shorter and it's stretched once again to just about an hour. But I want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you would uh, be willing to please rate it, it will increase its uh, exposure and and uh, increase um, just the reach that it has to anyone else that you feel might be um, 
you know, that might benefit from, from what I'm trying to do here. So this is Mark Holthy uh, signing off once again. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again in the future when I share more tips and strategies uh, as we help you along your way. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Yeah.